Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 171 of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. I'm your captain, my name's Aaron, and my lieutenant is this guy, James. You said first mate, because then I would have gone first mate, more like best mate. Oh, hello. I don't know ships though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, or, or planes or welcome anything. Welcome for a starboard episode. <laughs> we are definitely going under. <laughs> <laughs> If this is your first time, sorry. <laughs> the, the nautical episode already. <laughs> Quickly think of ships. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode. We get around the max each week to talk about movies and films on this podcast that leaves no stone unturned on the quest to find the greatest of all time. Each week, it's dead simple. We take on a different movie topic or theme within movies and of late TV shows. Last week, we did Game of Thrones. It went down a good success. It was a good success. It was fun to make as well. And, and it gave my life meaning because, you know, I'd watched all those series and then pitched the idea. <laughs> you know, if, if you had not said yes, mate, I would have just wasted my life watching Game of Thrones. Rewatching <laughs> Game of Thrones. Yeah, in like two weeks. That's a commitment. It is a commitment, but that's me. Well, this week, uh, we've got five movies to talk about uh, that, we, well, that we're going to aim to get through in this podcast. We're also going to ask the question... Why is Paul Rudd the sexiest man alive? I mean, I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? We'll get into it. We'll get into it. <laughs> and then also a uh, little bit behind the scenes. I've just recovered from being ill. James is just coming down with something. Yeah. So I think one of these five movies is to blame. Because <laughs> the, the link is we've both seen these five movies this week. Yes. So maybe one of them caused us to get ill. Yes. But do you know what? I already, do you know what? Surprise, mate. I've been working on this. Well, first of all, how are you? I'm all right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe right, yeah. but so big week. Obviously, you know he's come out as the sexiest man. Um, you know, hooray! Marvel have released so much stuff. I just I can't keep up with it. The mm. She-Hulk series looks very good. Yeah, I'm impressed by that. Moon Knight. Don't know what that is. Still refuse to watch the Eternals because I don't want to do that to myself. But I think you and I are probably going to go. We're going to go. Yeah. Um. So it's it's been a bit of a crazy week, but then. I decided that we did an episode back on this, you know, give second chances. So it's it's one of these it's one of these times where I'm going to make a new thing and it's going to last one week and we'll forget about it. It's going to be called Am I Right or Was It a Delight? Ooh, rhyming. So you're going to go back and revisit movies that you've previously not liked. Well, I've done it this week because in the past few few weeks we've passed November the 5th. Remember, remember the 5th of November. Yeah. Viva Vendetta. Yeah. So we, you and I know this person and he's great. He loved this film. He had this great, you know, poster. Couldn't get enough of it. And mutual it was, friend of the podcast that loved friend. the movie. I yeah. love the movie. You not like the movie? I didn't like the movie. What? I thought oh, the other person <laughs> knew how much I hated this movie. So I rewatched it. It's on Netflix. And yeah. I thought, you know, fireworks night. I remember liking really certain aspects of it. Like I really liked the British totalitarian state. The voice of, you know, Britney, he's talking about, he's talking, he's saying these hateful things. It's like Piers Morgan. <laughs> it's literally Piers Morgan. John Hurt just channeled his yeah. inner Piers Morgan. M- Mr. Creedy was just kind of like this weird looking, you know, morphed tomato, pale tomato would just come out from the shadows. I really liked this dark universe. From the what? From the shadows, yep. So he's first introduced and then William Hurt screams out, Mr. Creedy, and then his face just pops out of darkness. And he looks like this like kind of potato bef- deformed. <laughs> Right. And I, really, I have no idea where you're going with this. No, I just, I really liked it. I really liked, I really liked the bad guys. I was like the good villains, you know, the fingermen, you know, the, the place that it's called is the thumb. You know, I really like all of this. I thought it was brilliant, except for it should have been called the palm. You know, these jokes, <laughs> just by themselves. I really liked it. I think it's brilliant. My only problem with it is the main characters <laughs> and the story that revolves around all of them. 
I can't hate them. Uh, sorry, I really do hate them. Natalie Portman's accent is one of the worst accents I've ever heard. And I've never heard, you know, when you say all these lists and the joke is, oh, Sean Connery's jo- uh, accent in, um, what well, he plays an Irish accent on, what's that? Oh, The Untouchables. You know, everyone mocks that. No one's mocking this absolutely terrible accent of the character of Evie. It's absolutely awful. And I'm going to say- Do you not think it's meant to be no, fake? No, it, no, because because that's not the film. And I'm going to say this now, V, the character of V, irritates me because he's so happy. He might as well be the mask. You know, he's so slapstick. He's like, oh, he's a twat. And I hate him. I think he's a prick. I disagree with you there, James. And I, when I read like the differences between that and the source material, and he's actually, you know, he is a, a downright anarchist. You know, he doesn't care about anyone. He, he He's not joyful and gleeful. And it comes to me in the opening scene where he saves Evie from the Fingerman, and then he literally blows up. He blows up the old Bailey. And he's, you know, conducting the music. It's like, can you hear it? The symphony. It was like, shut the fuck up, Hugo Weaving. Shut up. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm classing it, mate. And I know we're gonna disagree. I was right. <laughs> you, you, you were wrong then, and you're wrong now. Beef <laughs> Vendetta is a good movie. I just can't, I can't, I can't get it. It's, I don't get it. Also, his, his big plan at the end, spoilers, is to get shot and somehow survive. Well, that's lucky because he does get shot a load of times, but somehow survives. Don't make any sense. I, I'm not, I'm not happy about it. I'm not happy about it. Bullshit. Do like that uh, Stephen Fry's in there. I like the movie. I think the movie's good. I rewatched it last year. I think I did, mm. and uh, it, it it surprisingly doesn't have the level of action I thought the movie has. There's only kind of if you're going into this as in the in the comic book graphic novel, you know, as a as a fan of those kind of source materials, it, it's not the most action laden of those. Mm. But script storyline, the twists, the the overall kind of point of it I actually really kind of I thought it was fine I, I really liked it the more you learn about V the less interested I am I think you should have been like a silent there is a, there is a sequence in there there is it's heartbreaking it's where he's trying to break down the character of V like shaves her head and then there's a flashback story he leaves her uh, she gets left notes while she's been captured mm. you know the storyline if you've seen it you know what I'm talking about she lives out the story of someone she's never met and that gives her hope mm. and I think that's brilliant I think that's that storyline is fantastically well portrayed the music's swelling it gets me However, the rest of the film is just disappointing for me. I just don't get it. I don't get why everyone likes it. I love the bad guys. I hate the heroes. <laughs> sort it out. Oh, you heard that, world. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Right. Oh, James. No. <laughs> just sorry. something you're a white man from England <laughs> moaning about a movie that came out over 10 years ago. God. Welcome <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> white man moaning. <laughs> Would you? I've got I've Anything else you want to moan about before we get started on this very positive episode? Um... Really enjoyed last week. That was good. The Game of Thrones one. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I just want to say thank you to listeners lately. I think they've been absolutely fantastic getting involved. Yeah. Um, big shout out to everyone who follows us and comments and tweets and likes and subscribes. And, and we've had a, an influx of reviews as well, which is always lovely. Thank you, because that really does help. So housekeeping, do not forget to like, subscribe and uh, leave a review. That'll be really, really good. Now, last week at the end of the show, we did say we were going to do, get. Um, we were going to, go from Westeros to Middle-earth to do uh, Lord of the Rings. But we realised the 20th anniversary is in a few weeks, so we're going to delay that in line with the 20th anniversary because that is such the sorry in my seat way of uh, doing an episode a month before or a month after a significant event. So this time... We're going to be prepared. It only <laughs> took four years. <laughs> so uh, Lord of the Rings is coming. So this time, instead, what we've done is we've gone back onto streaming services to look at new releases. And these are new releases across uh, Netflix, 
Now TV and um, Disney. So what I was thinking of when we were listening and we were looking at these films, the majority of them, not them all, but the majority of these are the films that you wouldn't have seen because cinemas were locked down. So a lot of these came out during that time. Like we were talking about Mortal Kombat, which famously from HBO Max went straight to the streaming site so you could buy it on Sky Store. Uh, Jungle Cruise, which obviously is just at the beginning, but we were still timid. We didn't want to go back. And then probably the biggest one is uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, where a lot of people didn't want to go back to the cinema still. So it's kind of like, we're catching up. And that's probably where we're going to start then. So uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is now out on Disney. It is the 25th Marvel Universe movie. Uh, it's directed by uh, Destin Daniel Creighton. It stars Simu Liu, Orquafina, Tony Chowley, Leung, and Ben Kingsley. I am going to, uh, at the top of this, apologise if I butcher any names. I'm going to try my best. You do that, Also going to keep this spoiler free because it is a new release, but we will go into uh, the basic synopsis, which you'll get from the trailer anyway, and then we'll kind of break down the movie and uh, give a bit of a review. So movie begins with a backstory of a mighty warrior, Wenwu, thousands of years ago, finding the Ten Rings and using them to defeat armies and topple governments. We go through a montage of different decades and timelines until we reach 1996. While searching for the mythical village of Tao Lo, a place he believes will enable him to strengthen his powers, he meets a guardian, Ying Li. The two fall in love, they have children, and Wen Wu gives up the Ten Wings, the Ten Rings, yep. the power, the tyranny, the life for family. He does, for love. Aww. When Yang Li is later murdered by a rival gang, Wen Wu goes back to his old ways, training his son, Shang Li, to become an assassin. A traumatised 14-year-old uh, Shang Li escapes and begins a secret life in San Francisco. Yeah. The movie then skips forward to present day where the movie picks up um, where Shang Li is undercover as Sean. He's a, a, a valet uh, parking cars, but he's got a good relationship with Katie, in this case played by Aquafina. Um, and his cover is blown when he's pulled back into the world of the Ten Rings after an attempt is made on his life. Um, and he goes back in search for the power of the rings and Tao Lo. Yeah. That's pretty much the synopsis. That's very good. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And then you've got like a what, what we call like a cross-continental kind of feel to a film, action-packed. Obviously, going to its core roots, it is a martial arts comic book film with the added impetus of um, these ten rings, which and and kind of like wind powers. <laughs> Not to get into too many spoiler territories, but you, you've got a lot going on. Mm. You've got a lot going on. I uh, off the top of the bat, I love this movie. I with you. I absolutely love this. I, film, I, I really loved it. I, I thought this was brilliant. To me, this 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 is kind of like what I wanted from a film. I don't mm. want to know the world. Yeah. So it it does a great job of explaining to me. It's beautiful. Can I just say that there's a scene when they get shown a map in water, and that mate is just sensational. It's yeah. what a masterpiece of absolute visual representation. I'm not I'm not a graphics guy. I'll never go see a film because of its graphics. But when I was sat there watching it and then like kind of the floor comes to life. I thought I was absolutely fucking phenomenal. And there's a, there's language. a, there's a few scenes like that. There's that, that is standout. That scene, there's the, the whole, uh, tallow scenes, the mythical village, the hidden village. There's a phenomenal fight on a moving on, on a bus. That looks so good as well. Yeah, yeah. In San Francisco. Um, it, it, you know, I I, I, I didn't realise I was craving this from the Marvel, from the MCU. And I should say off the top of this, I, I haven't read the source material around Shang-Li. I know nothing about the characters or the Ten Rings or anything like that. So I was like really, I don't know, kind of just in the hands of the filmmakers to kind of tell a story that I didn't know that didn't feel like it was like 
wedged into the MCU as the 25th movie. It felt like a standalone, but also a movie that, that contributes to the to the, the world, the universe. What I also loved about it as well is that until a certain point, there's no references. You could be just watching a film. Yeah. You know, he's very... It's very, if you're going into this expecting to see like regular faces every two minutes, go, oh, there's them. They're not, there's Easter eggs, but they mm. don't really come into play at all. It's, it's literally Shang-Chi's uh, Shang, uh, Shang story and uh, Katie's. And I'm going to be mm. honest, Katie's one of the best psychics. I think psychics, something the MCU can either do really well, like uh, who's, who's one of the best, probably Wong from, you know, Doctor Strange. Yeah, Korg. Uh, Korg, fantastic. But if you go um, to the early ones, they never really see, they're either hit and miss, I find. I think Kate's number one. I think she's brilliant. She's, mm. she's fantastic. As the straight woman, the one that doesn't know what's going on, you know, no idea. We learn through her and she's fantastic. I, I thought she was brilliant. There's a scene where she's like talking to their friends and they're talking about how they've got it hard, you know, being uh, uh, valets. Mm. She's just fantastic, mate. She's, every time you think about it, you think of something funny. I thought she was fantastic. It was Aquafina, who I've seen twice this week because I saw, uh, not the Jungle Book too. Jumanji 2 next level, she's in it as well. She, I didn't, I've no idea where she's come from. I absolutely love her. I think she's mm. fantastic. Two for two. <laughs> go, go, Aquafina. Well Aquafina. Aquafina, I apologise. Yeah, I, I think, um, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought that it lend itself to, so we it knew it was going to attract and, and fall into a, a, a Western audience. And I think it played to the kind of Eastern exports that we love and the Western audiences fell in love with. So it does lend on things like Crash and Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It does have influences of things like, particularly the choreography is very much Jackie Chan style movies. Yeah. There are references to him fighting shirtless and it's clearly Bruce Lee nods. And so it just, it, that's the very exact t-shirt off. <laughs> yeah. Well, a, a bit of research as well is around that his introduction in the comic books, he takes his shirt off for his first fight and someone says in the comic book, why did you take your shirt off? <laughs> so I think it's, it's, I think maybe, I don't know, but those that read the source material are, are going to be, have been impressed by the movie, but it certainly felt like I, I, it had all them elements to it that may, would, would make it attractive and, and something that we know, but also showed a whole load of stuff that I do not know about in terms of culture um, and in terms of world. And that's not meaning the Tao Lo part, you know, which is great and mythical and full of beasts and, and wonder and, and everything. Um, but it, it really did feel like a, a kind of an MCU movie that just had more context to it than your usual running bangs and monsters. And yeah, no, I, I think it was, it was a great story it's visually. And I know I don't want to talk about it. it's brilliant, but the chemistry as well, but it, I've, it's also a film that's, you know, 20 films later to plug a pot, a plot hole from Iron Man 3 <laughs> with the character of, uh, Trevor. <laughs> yeah, the Mandarin. So, yeah, so um, really like the film. I thought it was entertaining. I thought it was funny. Good story. Great action. Has a heart. Has a motive. Uh, good characters. I like the hero. I thought it was witty. I like how he has to overcome his own storyline in the bigger arc, which I think always works better. Um, like the villain. I thought the villain, again, had motive, had charm, had depth. Isn't just a villain. Can I just say as well that the fight scene... The big villain versus the the hero, the fight scene was great because the great it, it visually looked good with the introduction of Ten Rings, which yeah. is going to sound stupid because they are quite kept. Their powers aren't explained. There's not a scene where someone goes, "Oh, the power with the rings do this." You see him. Mm. It's like the Witcher series when um, Geralt is going around. He's got five. He's got five spells, but they're never actually mentioned. You see him use him, but the, the, at no point you actually told what they are. But uh, in this, the rings are kind of just like powerful, but but it's like we were not going to explain it to you. It's like, no one kind of knows what they can do, which, yeah. which kind of adds to the element. I liked that. Uh, I agree. I think the sides and sporting characters are all funny and well-balanced. Um, 
I, uh, also, just going back to what you said about filling in some gaps. So Shang-Chi and the uh, the Ten Rings were going to be introduced in the post-credit scene of Avengers Assemble. That's how far back they've had them in the mm. pipeline to introduce them to the to the MCU. Um, Ten Rings were also the group, the terrorist group that kidnapped Tony Stark in Iron Man 1. one. Yeah. So they are in, in, interlaced with, with the MCU up until now. Um, also, it's in the trailer and it was a big buzz, so I'm going to say it, the Abomination is back. Yeah. from the Hulk movie. Um, so it kind of does make Edward Norton's a bit more canon. I know we've had some characters that have carried over from that, but when not I, a lot. When I had to explain it to Esther, I was like, this is kind of a big deal because it shows that that movie exists. However, when you go into Disney, that film's not there because that film doesn't exist. <laughs> and, and it, <laughs> but the events do exist, but the film itself is not there. So don't worry about it. And it does, it is certainly a segue that moment into She-Hulk. So we know the abomination is going to be in She-Hulk. And it does look like uh, Wong's character is somehow connecting the two together. So I think there was loads in there. There's loads of Easter eggs, as you've already talked about. You've seen the Black Widow movie. There's a there's a widow nod at one point, which I thought was really good. Um, I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I, I had my own... What I really liked about it, and, and one of the benefits of home streaming, is if you, particularly if you watch it with people, you can break away in moments of, of you know, kind of when it dulls from the, from the action or whatever to kind of maybe say, Oh, I think it's this. I think it's that. And mm. for me, I had like certain, I thought it was going to go this way or that way. And then I was surprised at certain points when it didn't. And so I actually found it really engaging. It found me like swept up in the storyline to be thinking actually, Oh, you know, Oh, it's 1996, right? What happened in 96? Well, that's post you know, Captain Marvel and all this kind of stuff. And I was trying to figure out the plot. And I really liked that. Also Ben Kingsley coming back in it. I really, really like that as well. He he has three or four laugh out loud scenes in this movie. One of them being a callback. If you are a cinephile, he delivers the line from Sexy Beast. Um, you know, why is that horse looking at me? In one of the best deliveries, uh, he, always, he says, uh, why is it looking at me? It, it, it's just so funny. It is funny. And um, and yeah, I thought the end scene, I thought, you know, the, most movies obviously are, are told over three acts. The third act I thought was just as strong as the first act, which set off coming out of the gates with that bus fight scene. Yeah. Um, and what? the third act was so over the top and it felt like what we've seen before. It felt like we were in Wakanda, but this time we had mythical beasts that made sense versus war rhinos, which didn't make sense. My, um, my biggest problem with the film is the final act, but it's something I can't talk about, but it's, it's Marvel's, Marvel's always kind of like, no, do you know what? I can't actually speak about it without without spoiling it. Okay. I do have one issue, but do you know what? That, that's one issue and a myriad of positives. Out of 25, James, what would you give it? Um, do you want? I'm just saying top tier. I'm going like eight. In your top, so in your top in 10 my, Marvel in my top, Oh Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think what helps is, and I'm going to say this, this is what I call Ant-Man and Guys of the Galaxy. Because I have no idea what to expect from this film it was able to jump so far of those expectations. Because mm. I was like, I oh, don't know what I'm going to watch. I don't know what I'm stepping into. Yeah. And do you know what? It delighted and surprised me. Yeah, I agree. And, and also the San Francisco, you know, there, there is the San Francisco unit of the Avengers coming up in there. You know, mm. you got like, you know, Ant-Man set in San Francisco. Obviously a certain movie had a very yeah, big say, a very <laughs> credit scene recently, which might suggest that that San Francisco person may be involved. So yeah, it's certainly um, gearing up, isn't it? That there's the the San Francisco branch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, absolutely great watching it. I've really enjoyed it. There's two after scene credits, so stick around. So I don't think Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings made me feel ill this week. 
No, I just, I'm going to take that off. The, it's not the film that made me a white. Okay. Well, let's go to the next choice then, if I may. And in fact, you didn't see this one. So I'm going to very quickly cover a movie that, um, that I've watched this week that I've wanted to watch for over two years, but I've only just noticed that it's on Netflix. So it may be new. It may have been there for a while, but had I known this was on there, I would have watched it sooner. So that's what makes me think that it's new. And there's a movie called Honey Boy. Uh, which is from 2019. It's this 19-minute uh, movie that is written by Shia LaBeouf and directed by Alma um, Harrell. And the film uh, stars also in it. Uh, Shia LaBeouf stars in it. Noah Jupe stars in it. Lucas Hedges uh, stars in it. The movie is about Lucas Hedges, who plays Otis at the age of 22. He's a young actor who's battling his demons and his mental health who enters rehab to begin a program that aims to identify um, and confront the events of his past that may be affecting him and his career, his health, his relationships and his profession and everything. Um, told through a series of flashbacks, we learn that Otis was a promising, energetic childhood star who was managed and chaperoned by his abusive father, James, who in this case is played by Shia LaBeouf. Mm. Now, the film is, so, is part biographical. So Shia LaBeouf wrote this himself whilst in uh, rehab um, and heavily pulls on his own experiences and his own childhood and his own story to tell this, to tell it. So it was part of his therapy was writing this screenplay. And then he, I imagine as part of his ongoing therapy, then played the fatherly figure who mm. is somewhat based on his own fatherly figure. Yeah, it's based on his, uh, I remember reading about it, it's based on his experiences, isn't it? Yeah. Which is always difficult, I imagine, to commit that to the, to the big screen. And then, Bring up an awful lot of stuff. Mm. Well, I think Shia LaBeouf, so I, I'm going to guess here, mate, this is good Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, it is. I, I really enjoy this movie. It's a 90-minute it's drama that is very, very uh, heartfelt and emotive. Um, it's, you know, he, the the father figure in this play by Shia LaBeouf is, is, is an ex-rodeo clown. He's the, he's the, he's a, he's a veteran. He's the person that's come back from America, uh, from, from war. Um, and he's seen his son earn more money than he is and have this career and, I think what starts with best intentions then becomes manipulative and controlling mm. and abusive. Um, and their relationship is utterly broken down by that. You know, the, the younger character of Otis just wants the father, just wants the advice, the companionship of a, of a son and father. And it feels more like a work relationship, but when the 11 um, year old is paying the bills, Ooh. it's it's got that like family dynamic, you know, they live hand in mouth in a motel. Um, it's, it, it's a hard watch at times. It does. It, it doesn't shy away from the abuse angle, but then at the same time, it doesn't feel like an invitation for sympathy and a you know Shia LaBeouf saying, "Oh look, I had it bad," you know, and, and for whatever reason you judge me because I know that he's had a he's a very kind of colourful life in the media. Um, it doesn't feel like that at all. It feels very much like a story that actually is worth telling that just happens to be Shia LaBeouf's story at the same time. It, it really is pretty good. And it breaks the, the the fourth wall a few times by doing these cutaway sequences that are quite abstract. You know, there, there is literally a pie in the face scene in slow motion. There are um, scenes that cut away to be more imagery based. And it, it just adds to the pace. And, and what I think it has at the helm of it is a director that knew how to tell the story. I think if you're into your dramas, if you're into your, um, your films that don't, it doesn't have the action sequence it doesn't have the you know the the oscar scene it's just a it, it's a story and and, it, and actually it's really weird saying that because all films are stories but this is one that's like when you turn it on in the first minute after it gets past the it opens with like quite a, a, an abstract scene but when it gets into the actual narrative part 
you need about 60 seconds to know where this is going and then you sit down and watch it and see how it plays out and you root for this kid. You yeah. know, you you feel charmed by this kid, you know, you and um, and then at the end it does that that punch, you know, yeah. thing where it shows you the photographs and, you know, all that kind of, and it shows you how close to home it was. So, I mean, hats off to it. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good movie and if you're into your dramas, if you're into your... Um, you, you kind of more serious 90 minute films Honey Boy is probably for you it's a good good pick Charlie Booth's a weird one isn't he mm. just like his entire career's trajectory so one of the first films I ever watched with Esther when we were just having a Chinese you were getting to know each other and it's a film that's sharing on DVD was Holes and I always forget that Charlie Booth was very young when he started maybe too young I like mm. kind of I always get the feeling that you know when he went I don't want to use this term when he went crazy you know when he was doing those art projects and people were just like pissing on him constantly you got to remember that I imagine that's such a pressure you know, from that young an age to be a movie star to mm. then to like, and then you're in, I know, I'm not, then you have to work with Michael Bay and I'm actually, that's not easy, mate. <laughs> <laughs> just, so I always think that, you know, Hollywood might have crushed him a little bit and the way he's changed, he's uh, decided to like save himself is these films, you know, Peanut Butter Falcon, you know, indie films that are full of heart. Mm. And I'll be honest, he's, he's, uh, he's good. You know, you can't take that away from him. The last three films I've seen him in, he's actually brilliant. Yeah, I mean, we always say like with a TV series, you can't judge a, a series by its finale, and I, and I think in terms of a career, you can't judge it by its Transformer movie. It's you know <laughs> like because why wouldn't you be the lead in a Transformers movie? Yeah, exactly. fucking hey, you would. Yeah, you know, I just, it, there is a similar. Everyone calls themselves out for money, and it, do you know what? It's fucking Transformers. Sam Woodwicky, mate. Exactly. Um. So was that film made you will, mate? No, I don't think it was. I think that that film did not make me ill. So we're narrowing it down, James, to um, Red Notice, Mortal Kombat, or Jungle Cruise. Um, if I had to pick one that I know didn't make me ill, I'm going. I would pick Jungle Cruise next. It didn't make you ill. It didn't make me. Did Ill. you like Jungle Cruise? So is this one of the divides? Is this people? No, no. No, I didn't. I didn't mind Jungle Cruise again. There's one thing Disney does very well, man, and it's action adventure. Now, obviously, they had. Obviously, they had Pirates of the Caribbean 5 to make and they decided to scrub it and they went, let's make Jungle Cruise because a few changes, very few changes, and this film is quite clearly a Pirates of the Caribbean film. Well, James, <laughs> remember when Disney <laughs> com converted a theme park ride and made a movie about an English woman caught up in an adventure with an eccentric boat captain? Mm. There was a curse, there was treasure. There was. There was a lost legend yeah. in a hot, exotic location, a race against good and evil trying to get there. Yeah. Well, shy of fucking surprise, <laughs> they've done it again. And this time, well, it's not Pirates of the Caribbean. It is Jungle Cruise. You're right. It's so on the nose of Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean. It's like, look, we can't. We can't. Johnny Depp's untouchable for a while. <laughs> Johnny, De Johnny Depp is like the Chernobyl of the acting world. Like we, we, just need to, we just need to let it be for a while. Just, just let him call. I'm not saying we can't not go back one day. But at the moment, at the moment, we've just too much time around him. Who's hot? The Rock. The Rock, yeah. Who big, won't say no? Big ship? Nah, small ship. Done. <laughs> it, that is literally it, isn't it? It's, it's like, so, I, I mean, yeah, Jungle Cruise is this action adventure movie that came out that, you know, if you're on social media, you would have seen The Rock and Emily Blunt harping on about because they do that so well. You know, they, yeah. they, they jazz it up. But Emily Blunt plays Dr. Lily Halton, who's a feisty feminist embarking on a journey to save countless lives and advance medicine. Uh, by finding a petal from a great tree called the Tears of the Moon. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. The problem is I've ever actually been to Disneyland. And weirdly, you know, when I ask you questions like, is it close to source material? I'm, I'm asking, is it is it close to the theme is, park ride? Is that how the ride ends? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is. It's really weird, isn't it? Because I remember when, 
when my friends of mine went to or wherever they went to go to Disneyland and then I asked the master was so did you have to do a deal with <laughs> the squid thing <laughs> it's just like because they're all based on theme park rides how fucking complicated was the second part of the Caribbean movie I'm, I was in the cinema going what the fuck is going on <laughs> yeah I, mean, I, I imagine they've taken some liberties with the narrative <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hope so. Like, but from what I gather, from so one of the things in this is the Rock does a lot of one-liners, which apparently is very much in in line with the drivers on the ride that do that. They just do the puns. Yeah. Can I, can I just say that the puns are my, easily my favourite part of this entire movie. Well, for Emily Blunt to find this petal called the Tears of the Moon, uh, to do this, you'll need the help of a boat skipper, and the only boat skipper crazy enough or brave enough to go up river. It's Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Of course it is. Old Skippy himself. Uh, alongside this token Disney uh, comic relief McGregor, which in this case is played by Jack Whitehall. Yeah. Uh, thrown in the mix an ancient tribe, dangerous animals, the cursed... Uh, <sighs> the cursed undead, yeah. technically. Conquistadors. And, a, and, and, and you won't believe it, James. What? what a ruthless the, what? Nazi prince. <laughs> Technically not a Nazi, mate. It's not a, yet. This was the first one. It's not yet. Soon. <laughs> it's 1916. Give him a few more years. Um, um, well, Jesse Flemings. Come on, mate. Yeah. Can, Jesse Flemings knew exactly what he sounded for. I, this is, something's weird about Jesse Flemings, mate, because I watched, I was rewatching Fargo season two. It just, it's not nothing to do. Hmm. But he... he What's really weird is he doesn't, and I, I don't want to, you know, because we're talking about, you know, Paul Rudd, an out-sexiest man, you know. Jesse Plymouth isn't a good-looking chap, but his acting range is fucking phenomenal. Oh, yeah, he's uh, a great, he's, guy, a great I actor. I think he might actually be, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I put him in that. He can act. Like, he could do anything. Well, you're saying you've got a category of, like, not good-looking, but can act. Yeah. That's, that's really yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but I just think he's, I think Jesse Plymouth is fantastic. And when he shows up, mate, as, as a German, like, when he first appears as well, so what I think this film does actually quite well, which is something I think the Pirates of the Caribbean, especially the first one, tried to harness was they wanted the mummy. Brendan Fraser's the mummy. They were like, we want that sort of thing. And I think the first Pirates of the Caribbean nailed it. Mm. But the second and the third one got the other mummy. Yeah, the second, one likes. the second one, they're like, look, we, we need to expand on story and characters. Yeah. And you realise how like paper thin <laughs> these characters are. <laughs> you realise they were based on a fucking thing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> There's not much more you can do with this. But I, I thought this one captured the spirit of the mummy. Great way, like Emily Blunt's like her first introduction when she's kind of doing these crazy things in a, in a library, like like comedy action. When I love this, I love this adventure film, mate. Is when people quite clearly die, but it's a family film, so you don't see them die. Like when she kicks someone out of a four-story window, that bloke is dead. <laughs> but because you don't see him splat, it's fine. Mm. Um, this film does a great job of like turning. I hate Jack Wilde. I think he's a pillock. I can't. Like what is with you film. today? Well, being positive. No, just bloody being well, so judgy. Do you like Jack Wilde? I don't mind him. I don't know him. His, his comedy is not for me. However, he's very yeah, well. You can say you can say that his comedy is not for you, but I don't mean you have to hate him, James. So anyway, very good in this film. Very good as the comic relief. But the problem is, I just kept seeing uh, John Hannah. I was like, I'm watching the Mummy. Is mm. what I'm doing. But then there was a scene on the boat. And I'm quite happy about this when I thought I was watching Anaconda. <laughs> what an awful train wreck of a movie that was. There's a lot of films, mate. There's a lot of films. Um, and I'm going to say this. The, the Rock kind of acts in this one. <laughs> kind of. Not a lot, but kind of. Cause yeah. Because he's, he's got backstory and he has to kind of act for it. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Just put, putting a wig on, James, is not yeah. acting. <laughs> well, he tries. <laughs> you can't say he didn't wear that wig. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I liked it. It's big sets, big adventure, big action. You know, it's it's one of them that, you, you know, plays out 
exactly how you imagine it's going to. You know, it's I, I like it. There's something about it that did feel old fashioned, that did feel like yeah. old school kind of family adventure movie to it. Um, you know, and that's a lot of that is set up at the very beginning of the movie when they're on the, uh, the they're at the town, they're kind of gearing up to go on this adventure up river in, um, in Brazil. And, um, you know, it does these big sweeping shots where it shows you, you know, the different docks and the jetties and then a submarine pops up and there's all this stuff going on and there's a puma or a jaguar, I'm not really sure. And there's all these animals and stuff and it's, it's crazy and chaotic and big and bright. And I liked it. It, it, it's, it was nonsensical kind of lose yourself in an adventure movie. And it did exactly that. Emily Blunt is utterly charming. She is brilliant. Yeah. Um, and, and I think more and more, whatever she's in, you, you can't deny that she's absolutely um, top of her class in terms of acting. The Rock it normally does put churn out a charming and charismatic performance. And he does that thing, you know, where he's like, I'm not just big and bald. I'm, I'm actually clever or, you know, there's a lot more going on beneath the surface. You know, that's that's what he pulls off. You know, that's the that, how he typecast as. And at one point he wears a wig. So, you know, acting. He does wear a wig. And then, yeah, Jack Whitehall, he, he took the paycheck doing exactly what he's supposed to do. Yeah. He's supposed to have the comic relief. But Disney's progressed. They give him a backstory line, which is very modern and has it a is. social narrative to it. So it's certainly progressing, um, you know, in the right direction. That I, I, I was I went in with no expectations and I was fully enjoyed. I, 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 I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it as well. I, I think Disney and I when I watch these kind of films, I think this is what The Rock does better. I know people say you know action. I'm not I'm not interested in the Fast and the Furious franchise or you know when he gets like a gun. I quite like him in an in this kind of romp. All right, mate. You like walking tall? I do like walking tall. Um, can you got time for a quick game? Mm. Um, so number one question after watching this film is what exactly is Paul Giamatti's accent <laughs> I know because someone says in it because I've only like, seen him recently in one other film and I was like Russian I, I, I was ge- genuinely I was like what's that and then someone, someone I think goes oh calm down you Italian and I was like oh not even close I wasn't even in the right continent so it was uh, so- Thank you for the paycheck and I'll see you soon. <laughs> what I do like is Paul Giamatti's uh, sunburn look to him that did make you, you know, which Jack Whitehall then adopts. Yeah. You know, this, uh, I forgot to pack the sunscreen and uh, there's no shade. Emily Blunt, no, no, too, no. too, you know, too A-lister to, to have a, a blemish. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And, you know, there were, there were, I knew at some point they were going to stop the boat and have to do the backstory. And, you know, the moment he's like, oh, you know, you're welcome on here. Just don't go in that room. You're like, okay, so what point are they going to go in that room and find something? How good would it be if she never went in that room? <laughs> I do Just- also like the fact that uh, the the skippy character that The Rock plays, that Dwayne Johnson plays, isn't, you know, he's very much actually in vain with Jack Sparrow in the sense that he's not the best, mm. you know, and, and, uh, he, he, and a lot of it is for show and an act. And he's a bit of a swindler. I tell you what, it, uh, this film does brilliantly. Is, is it played? I uh, it plays on, it plays on that. So mm. it tells you a story, kind of. So when you hear the story or the legend, you just accept it at face value because in these films it's always the same. You know, oh, you're Jack Sparrow. You know, you know, you hear that story, and that's true. This one does play with that, it's just enough so that when you hear the real story, you're thinking, ooh. Ooh. Mm. So I, without giving too many spoilers, I, I, I came across and I was thinking, you know what? What was it, an hour 45? Well, I thought... I was, I was Charmed. White, time well spent. Yeah, I think it's pushing two hours. It did feel did feel long. Yeah. But these films do because you're not just going to get on the boat. There's There's got to be the kind of the setup scenes, isn't there? Like there is quite a lot of kind of 
paving the way at the beginning of this movie. You're going to have Paul Giamatti. But it's a big, big, big production. This is, you know, big, big uh, money was spent on this film and it, and it felt it. It felt like a big, rich movie. Um, CGI is questionable, but it's Disney, you know. Yeah. But it's, you know what, I'll always accept, if, if uh, an animal looks told you, I'll always accept it because I'd rather have crappy looking CGI animals than a real animals. one. Yeah. So that's fine. They'll always get passed for me. Yeah. <sighs> Talking about which, do you see Dexter? I haven't seen Dexter because... I love I love the trailer, mm. and I'm, I'll be honest, I'm worried. All right, there's a CGI stag in that, and that ain't passing no test. Yeah, oh. was the episode good though? Yeah, ah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. it. I think the new one's out tonight, so I'm going to watch that no, after this. My problem is because it's weekly, and you know me, mate. Weekly, I've had a rant many a time. Yeah, I like them to build up if it's going to be weekly, and watch them, watch them, so that by the time the final episode has come out, I've not had to wait for 14 weeks. It certainly feels like slipping on a pair of your favourite slippers. From a good season. <laughs> From a good season. And it feels like, and it's early doors, but it does feel like they're writing a few wrongs and uh, it does feel like they're, they're progressing as well. The problem is if you do that, there's going to be so many, there's going to be fans from other series that will demand this kind of action. Because it's been a long time since Dexter had that terrible season finale. Yeah. It's been a long time. Over 10 to, years, isn't it? And then for them to come back, it shows that they're willing to listen and then you just think, oh, I not everyone's going to be like that, so you're kind of spoiling fans. Because if Dexter's going to do it, Game of Thrones will be like, well, you know. Did I ever tell you about when I binged Dexter to get it done? No. Because it was going off now. To, it was going off now TV at like uh, on this set <laughs> 3 day. 3 a.m. You were two hours. No, no, it was, it was going off now TV and I was like, I had to wait seasons and I think it was in like two weeks or so. Yeah. And so I was like, fucking bosh it. Yeah, I know, but it, James, I'm not like you. I've got life. I've got other things I've got to do, James. So I absolutely boshed it, staying up all hours. And then um, the day I finished it, like the day after, sorry, I turned on Now TV and it was like new to Now TV, <laughs> Dexter. I was like, fuck's sake, <laughs> they're all there. Um, yeah, Dexter's worth watch. Now, uh, I'm going to take a break because we are narrowing down to the movie that might have made us feel ill mm. to talk about a certain hot totty, James. Yeah. This is uh, the fact that Paul Rudd's is 2021's People Choice for the Sexiest Man Alive. Bit of a synopsis here, because then we're going to ask the question, what is Paul Rudd's sexiest role? It's a weird question we decided to ask ourselves this week. Well, you know, <laughs> someone's got to do it, don't they? Uh, so the 52-year-old, 5'10", eerie stud muffin accepted the award this week with the great humour, um, with great humour. The green-eyed Jersey Stallion said, what? Surely not me. <laughs> the cheeky Adonis, born... Paul Stephen Rudd is set to star in the upcoming Ghostbusters Afterlife and is known for his roles in Ant-Man, I Love You Man, Clueless and Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers from 1995. But when he's not raising blood pressures, he loves nothing more than nights in with his wife and two kids. Born to English parents with family roots in Russia and Poland, this hunk of man fought off previous winners, beer-chested, I hope... <laughs> including last year's winner, Michael B. Jordan, Sean Connery, Tom Cruise, Patrick Swayze, Brad Pitt, George Clooney, Johnny Depp, and the first ever winner of this prestigious award back in 1985, Mel Gibson. One thing this podcast hates, James, is objectifying men as nothing but pure pieces of meat. So we ask, what is Paul Rudd's sexiest role? Known for his low-key style, wit, and deadpan humour, if you want an anti-aging, sarcastic male with piercing green eyes, you better ruddy believe Ooh. Paul is your man. Nice, I liked that. Do you know what, mate? I've run the numbers. I've done the tests. Statistics show that 80% of the time it works every time. I like that. Good, good, good link. It's got to be. It's got to be when he's Brian Fantana, man. 
when he's there on the streets hustling in the kind of 70s, <laughs> but, but weirdly not in the 70s. <laughs> is he the standout though in that show? I don't know. Mate. Is, he's sexy though. I like Anchorman <laughs> and I do think it's Will Ferrell's crowning achievement. He's crowning achievement. It's one of the best, it's one of the best films, comedies. It has to be. Mm. The problem is I'll never rewatch it because I, I worry that the sequel might, it didn't sit right. No, the sequel didn't. But I still think, you know, I still think it might be Brian Fontana from Anchorman, which is a sterling achievement. But mm. the, I don't think he's the shining star, but he's hot, mate. I mean, obviously his big movie, I suppose, is Ant-Man, which is ironic. The thing is, though, he could be more shirtless. He could be. He could be. <laughs> that suit could accidentally rip and just leave his bare oh, chest open. I don't know if the audiences are ready for that. Um, I think if we're looking at him in a supporting role, like Anchorman, I would see that and raise it to Perks of Being a Wallflower. And for what he adds Ooh. and contributes to the movie. But I think that movie is already a brilliant film and has lead performances, particularly from Logan Lerman and um, Ezra Miller and Emma Watson. That That's a good shout. Yeah, may, maybe maybe they enough drive it. So if I was to go indie, mm-hmm. Prince Avalanche. You do like that film. I did like that film. Two-man cast with him and Emilio Hirsch. How they made a 90 minute movie that was so entertaining about them being highwaymen just laying lights in the road. So the, the cat's eyes in the middle of the road. Do you know what? I really like that because it's like in the in the rural area. How about this? I probably takes his shirt off and cut some wood. Oh, he does. And he goes oh. fishing oh. with his bare hands. Man. Um, <laughs> if I was going to go comedy, I'd say I love you, man. I, do you know what? I, I love that film because I love the celebration of brotherhood. Mm. And I love the fact he's got no friends because sometimes I feel like that. And also because Andy's Andy uh, Sandberg in it and J.K. Simmons. Mm. J.K. Simmons plays his dad, and he's just like, "I mate, what a great film!" I'm not even mentioning uh, the other guy, <laughs> the actual guy who loves him. <laughs> I'm just talking about his family. Slap it to bass. Yeah, instantly quotable, rememberable. I I think that 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 maybe pips it, but I think most people would just go, "Oh, he played Mike in Friends." Well, Mike, Mike, friends, I remember that friends. This is where you might disagree with me because you're you're a friends aficionado. Who used to be? Mm-hmm. You know, your sisters were huge friends fans, yeah. aren't they? Is I believe uh, the character of Mike was one of the actual was actually one of the few characters that they added to show that improved it. Mm. I thought he was very good when it came, and I liked Mike because he didn't he wasn't main. He was perfect for was like, what does this episode need? And then extra character drop him in. Phoebe's husband. I thought he was great. When he just showed up, he never outside his welcome. I thought it was a great performance. And what's really weird though is he he lost the same age now. I know he, he does. He does seem to have made a deal with the devil somewhere, doesn't he, to anti age? But I don't know what you like in a man, mate. That's for me. Everything you know, everything so far is great. You know, the perfume, fine. Shirtless, fine. What if you're a kid though that doesn't feel right in the world? Mm. What if you're going through a messy divorce? You know, what if you just need a man? Someone to look up to, uh, a role model, if you will. There you go. That's my film. I think that film, mate, because I, I think that's the one of the first, that's the film that blew me away when I was like, poor, I was like, I was main star. I didn't see that film coming. I just put it on. I think I was with Sam, and you, there was no expectations. Sean William Scott in that movie as well. And that's like, what I mean. Yeah. Sean William Scott. That's the first film I remember liking him in. I think if you look at his filmography, mate, is is actually a very good filmography, and the man is hot. He hasn't aged. Mm. Even you go back to the beginning of Halloween, is it five? Yeah. Halloween 5. He play, He looks exactly the same. Halloween 5 dog shit and stay away from it. It's a terrible film. It's, it, that's the, it's the curse of Michael Myers. It's yeah. awful. 
But he is consistent. And do you know what, mate? Now he's hot. There is another movie that is a recommendation on Netflix. And it's called The Fundamentals of Caring. I want to see that. And that is a very, very good movie. Like, it, it, it's one of them that I put on uh, with no expectations. Just saw Paul Rudd was in it. I thought, okay, let's give it a go. And he plays a... Um, someone who's uh, recently gone through a divorce. He takes a job as a carer. Um, and... He, you know, he's got no experience in it, so he's got to learn on the job role. He, he's not really what he wants to do, but he needs to make money. Um, and he builds this bond, this relationship with his kids who um, is disabled and they kind of start to carry out a bit of a road trip. You know, so this guy, mm. this the kid is very much sheltered and his mother, who is nothing but cares for her son, but is kind of keeping her, yeah, keeping him somewhat bubbled. Yes. And he kind of breaks that barrier and he's like, no, come on, live a little, you know, like laughs for living and, and starts to take him out. And, um, but it has those, the, the good thing about Paul Rudd that I, I do actually do all jokes side. I think he does, he does very well is he does the humor, but then when he needs to deliver the emotive scene, you know, so there's a scene in it where he talks about like why he's divorced and what's happened to him. It is gut punching. Like it is very, very well done. I, 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 I do like the guy. I think, uh, Fundamentals of Caring is a really good movie on Netflix as well. Oh, do you know what? You've hit the nail on the head because I forgot about the film. Like that's the film. Do you remember, uh, Heart did one with um, Heisenberg on Amazon. Heart? Kevin Hart. All right. It, uh, oh, yeah. The, uh, That's what I was looking for in that film. Like, I just like... We could the easily... remake of that French movie, one of the yeah. Intouchables. And that's that was what I was looking for. I was comparing it to this film, and this film just like killed it. But I would like to say that Paul Rudd as well is, is a fantastic... Now, getting away from his hot bod, which apparently he has. I'll accept it. I always thought it was a weird age to win one. Because of the names that you mentioned there, like Ryan Gosling wasn't on it. Oh, well, he probably has. I didn't no, list them all. Well, I imagine Ryan Gosling has. Um, but what I really like about Paul Rudd is, is his casting. I know it sounds really weird, but I think the best casting the MCU ever did after after Robert Downey Jr. as, as Iron Man, which is the best, is Paul Rudd as, as, as Iron Man because he fits perfectly. He's the character. He's an actor that we didn't take seriously, but he's somehow like one of the best heroes now because he goes with his likability. Like think of when you first meet him and he's working in Baskin Robbins. You know, he's like the joke about Masked Rose. You know, whoring product placement, but you don't mind because it's Paul Rudd. And you also need someone like Paul Rudd to pull off that character that I don't think anyone... I mean, you listed earlier things like Guardians of the Galaxy, Shang-Chi. I don't think... Certainly my circle of friends, who aren't comic book readers, by the way, didn't go into Ant-Man being like, oh, my God, at last they made Ant-Man. Yeah, like, yeah, I think yeah. diehard comic book fans certainly did want that. Um so, you know, instantly you're like, I get it. Cause it's, it's almost like Paul Rudd was in on the joke. Like, <laughs> yes, we have made an Ant-Man movie. And some of the scenes play out really well with Paul Rudd in the helm of it, particularly the, the high speed train scene at the end, which is brilliant on the model track. Yeah. But then also, um, I really like, uh, when he's introduction into the, like when you look at movies like uh, Civil War, when there are scenes where he's basically going, I know, I can't believe I'm in either. <laughs> like, <clears throat> but what I love about that is when you spin on his head and you do a film where you do uh, Endgame. So after Infinity Wars, which he's not in, and then you see his heartbreak of him like going to his daughter. Who's, uh, so instantly we're mm. on his side, you know, he can get us emotionally, he can get us comedically. He demands Scott Tills. And when tills. you look at the MCU, when you look at the MCU, everyone goes to see Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth, the muscle guys. But mm. actually, the more I think about it, the more I associate with like Mark Ruffalo and Paul Rudd. Yeah, that's why I want Paul Rudd. Yeah. I want more Paul but Rudd. But I, like, I like Mark Ruffalo as well. You remember in, is it Endgame or whatever, he's like, he goes, there's an Ant-Man now? We've got a Spider-Man and an Ant-Man? <laughs> yes, when <laughs> like, it comes back, yeah. Um, but do you know what, mate? I'm going to applaud you right now because I think some of the best casting he ever did was in Perks of Being a Wolfhound because mm. that's to me who Paul Rudd is. Very, very approachable. So my sexiest moment, and I think is, him near a stream reading a book 
He's mm. got a shirt with this unbuttoned paint. It's lightly blowing in the wind. He's, I like him with the longer hair. Oh, and yeah. Like, and I like him with the beard that he's got for the trailer for the new Ghostbusters. Mm. And that's... I'm so looking forward to that. The sun's low, mate. The sun's low. It's getting low. <laughs> Red sky. Poor Rudd. Fucking he's hot, isn't he? He is. But, but for the record, I, I'm watching Ghostbusters with Esther soon. The first one. Mm. Don't really need to do the second one because it's the same film. <laughs> and I love Ghostbusters, but we did, didn't we do an episode? And it was just like, don't, why? Just replace evil mm. with a painting. <laughs> exact same film. It's literally the exact same film. And then there you go. I'm, and I'm looking forward to this. I think it's going to be brilliant. I, I've been burnt before, but I believe I have faith. Mm. Ghostbusters. I'm ready. Life. Oh, I'm excited. I'm ready. It's like two weeks. I know. So that's why I was like, it's on, the original is on Netflix. So if you want to watch it before you go see the new one, go watch it. Right, then we've got two movies left to go through in this episode that may be under the hour mark, but who knows? Oh, no. We've made, we've made promises before, James. Uh, I'm going to go with Red Notice next. Okay. I'm going to keep the rocks theme going, if you like. So we're going to transition from Jungle Cruise to Red Notice. So this is brand new on Netflix. Uh, it came out this weekend, just gone. It is the highest streamed film in Netflix's history. It's also the most expensive movie that Netflix has ever produced, coming in at 200 million. It's one that was destined for theatre release until it was picked up by Netflix to continue. The three main stars of this movie alone took home 20 million each. So the bill on this film was huge. So even if Netflix didn't, if even if it wasn't the number one film in the world, they would still say it is because Netflix <laughs> don't share their figures or their, their outcomes. So shocking that. <laughs> yeah. So it stars Dwayne Johnson, it stars Gal Gadot, it stars Ryan Reynolds. Um, so the globe-trotting action-adventure movie sees Dwayne The Rock Johnson as John Hartley chasing down the world's number one art thief, uh, which is the Bishop, played by Gal Gadot. But he recruits the help of the second most prolific art thief in the world, a.k.a. Nolan Booth, played by uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. The MacGuffin that brings these three characters together and sets in motion our storyline are Cleopatra's ancient bejeweled eggs. Yep. which a billionaire has put a price tag on if they can all be collected in time for his daughter's birthday. The $200 million budget will see the story span from Rome to London, Russia to Bali, from museums to yachts to Nazi bunkers in Argentina via a combination of the ridiculous, the silly, and product placement. Yep. Awful lot of product placement. <laughs> so the greatest hits of DC superheroes harks notes of classic adventure movies, including Indiana Jones, um, which it referenced itself. But James, is it any good? Right. So there is one thing that I, that I really love about this film. Fuck all. Absolutely hated this film. Absolutely detested this film. But, I'm gonna, uh, just before you go into this, okay. I'm going to warn you, James. Yeah. All right. I put Paul Rudd in a minute ago because you, you were being a, a, a very negative ninny. Okay. And you're sweary and you're saying all sorts of things, James. I'm sorry. So let's put a bit of constructive criticism in it if you're going to. Okay. But I don't want to silence you, so continue. So th- th- let's, for simplicity's sake, let's call The Rock's character The Rock. Let's call Ryan Reynolds' character Ryan Reynolds because that's who they play for this two-hour plus they, film. They, all three <laughs> of them do, to be fair. So the, I made this point with Jungle Cruise. The, the Rock does this where he's like, look, I'm... I know I'm muscly, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a turtleneck on yeah. and a leather jacket. And yes, I still look big, but I'm going to prove to you over the course of two hours that I've got more going on behind the eyes than just muscles and brawn. So you've ruined this film for me because a few weeks ago you mentioned that uh, Hugh Jackman, Ryan Reynolds, and The Rock will just play themselves. Yeah. 
And there is no further evidence than the film Red Notice yeah. where literally Ryan Reynolds, and do you know what? It's, it's not that it's not that it's a bad film. It's that when I'm watching the film, Ryan Reynolds breaks the fourth wall continuously. He mentions MacGuffins. He mentions the featured extras. He's doing his shtick from Deadpool. Mm. And that's fine if it was funny, but he, but it's nothing related to Deadpool. It's nothing. It's Ryan Reynolds now. He's so big that he just mean Ryan Reynolds, which is a shame because I think Ryan Reynolds is a good actor, but I haven't seen him act in quite a long time. Gal, uh, Gal got I think she's brilliant. And she gets to do, she because she's not featured primarily because they're trying to catch her. So she's always one stop ahead. She's able to have more fun because there's less expectations on her because the film isn't built. They're trying to catch her. So she's pretty much in it for the ending and for the bits, you know, where she shows up. But then when you see her on her own adventures, I think she's fine. There's a scene where they meet her and she's pretending to be someone else. That's quite funny. I enjoyed it. But to me, the biggest disappointment is The Rock because The Rock hasn't grown. So when I was reviewing Jungle Cruise, like Disney, it's a Disney formula. You know, we need someone to be likable. We need the rock. We need a, we need a different kind of Jack, Captain Jack Sparrow because we ain't making no more Pirates of the Caribbean movies we for need a few. Captain Jack Sparrow meets Popeye. <laughs> yes, exactly. But this one, this is a film where he can let loose a bit, and and he's disappointing. He's not. He's exactly the same. But what you're supposed to get is you're supposed to get the relationship, the the real comedy, the real story, the real value comes from how Ryan Reynolds acts off the rock, and it's fine. However, we got a taster of this in that Hobson Shaw movie where Ryan Reynolds randomly just rang up The Rock and was like, I need your help. And then you saw their banter. And then someone saw that and decided to make this movie. And I do not understand it because this film isn't set in that period of film. It's not set in the Fast and Furious universe. It's a weird film. The storyline, mate, the writers, the writers think they've got goals. It's like, we'll have, we'll have like an Ocean's Eleven type thing. You know, you won't always know what's going on. It thinks it's so much cleverer than it is and it's not. If you don't see the if you don't see the storyline how it unfolds, you need glasses because it's so obvious. You can see it from four point eight billion miles I think, away. I think this is the fastest I've ever got a twist in a movie. I think literally the cast was still going up, and I think there's two scenes in the second scene. I went, "That's going to happen," and then at the end when it revealed, I went, "Fuck it out." But then the problem is, I got in that this this that ruined it for me. And sometimes you're a victim of your own like I don't know kind of snobbiness or, or stuck upness or whatever you want to call it, but. Um, arrogance is probably the best way but I, when I then said out loud what the twist was going to be you can't then unsee it yeah. it's so visible in almost every scene yeah um, or at least every set piece where something's yeah and then there's a certain scene later on um, they're, they're in uh, they're under a bullfine ring for no reason <laughs> absolutely no reason the, the, the film went out of its way to, to go to all these different locations without going anywhere yeah. like it was all shot in Georgia I think the majority of the movie was well it, it seems to be like it says like we're going to Argentina do we get to see any of it no no <laughs> we're going to we get, we're, do you get to see any of it no so, the, so these yeah those are the bits like it's really it, I mean, the scope of this movie is huge. You can see where the $200 million went, you know, because as you say, you, you're going from Rome and that does all look on location. That looks stunning. You know, those scenes are great. And that's got the joke of the movie because it sets up for a for a car chase yeah, and the music happens happen. and it doesn't happen. And, and I, I was like, like that, yeah. I like that. And that happens quite early on. So I was like, oh, we're in for something. No. <laughs> and, you know, and then you get scenes in London, but then you get scenes, you, you, you get a, a maximum security prison on, the, on, a, on a mountain top in Russia. You know, you're like, okay, all right. You know, Ryan Reynolds is now like some kind of James Bond meets um, 
what was that movie? That Thomas Crown, yeah. Art Thief, where he's living this barley lifestyle with a private, you know, with a house that you access by boat. So what I don't understand about this movie is what's the motive? Because everyone seems to be quite rich. So why do they want to be richer? There's, there's nothing... It's the pride of being number one, James. You've got to be the number one art thief. But for all of that, I wrote online this week that when I watched the movie that the, the movie requires the audience to just go with it. But that is stretched within about half an hour. And then by the end of it, you find yourself going, do I still have to go with it? <laughs> because there's so much. When it references Indiana Jones at the end, the joke is, yes, Indiana Jones 5. <laughs> because there's then a car chase scene with Nazi vehicles. Yep. It couldn't be any more Indiana Jones 5. You know what I mean? Like, not the good one, guys. You know, so I did... I didn't. They, they do actually do what... I know they reference it, but then but then they can't stop referencing it. So there's a scene where there's a bag with one of the eggs in it and it's attacked, two people holding it and it's been stretched. Straight out of Temple of Doom. But the thing is, it's like, you just referenced, like, you just referenced Indiana Jones, like, four seconds. When you reference something, the joke is then you, you drop it and you reference something else. Like, you should have got a lightsaber out. <laughs> you should have done something else. <laughs> yeah, I've, this, this movie, don't get me wrong, this movie will please audiences because it is popcorn entertainment. It's a two-hour uh, movie that has loads of elements to it, from car chases to heists to, you know, impossible uh, breakout sequences in prisons. It, it covers a very large, vast spectrum of scenes and set pieces. So to some people that just want to watch a movie that is a pure escapism and entertainment, it will find that audience and people will be impressed by it. I think for me, I, I don't know, maybe it says more about me than just the movie. I just, I struggled to believe any part of it, any part of it that then made it. I always question why I was watching it at one point. I was like, I don't know why I'm watching it. I don't believe it. I'm not really that entertained by it. And this is two hours of my life and I'm not feeling too good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should I just go to bed? I don't know. Um, I did laugh a few times. I did. I did there was a pretty funny scene about him talking about stealing a, a painting. It goes, what made you think that? And then the camera turns around and it's right behind him. And so there are some Ryan Reynolds still, bits that pull off. Don't get me wrong. There are very good moments. Like I do remember having like more than one chuckle at a scene where there's a bull like looking at him and he goes, don't run. Mm. And then they have a conversation about Jurassic Park and that to me was very funny. He's like, oh yeah. Because The Rock says, was Jeff Goldblum in it? He goes, oh yeah. <laughs> then they run. That was funny. I enjoyed that. And it was overplayed to the point where it was funny, then it wasn't funny. Mm. And then it was very funny. But my problem is, is when the second act ends, the third act begins with adding so much storyline that you literally, it's like red lights come on the screen. He goes, right, take a minute. Don't go for a piss for the next 10 minutes because you're about to learn a lot. And then they start talking about Nazi, like like war criminals mm. <laughs> disappearing. And you're just like, where the fuck is yeah, this that, come Yeah, that from? bit came out of nowhere, didn't it? <laughs> like the movie started by talking about Cleopatra's golden eggs, which sounds dodgy. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, then, and then the end of the movie, they're in a Nazi bunker in Argentina. And all I could think about was the architecture of how did they build a fucking well, bunker? Do, do, I was thinking this because they said, they said, they asked the big questions. How does... How does the car get in there? And he went, oh, it was from a, from a mine shaft. But then when they follow the mine shaft, there's a fucking waterfall exit. Yeah. Have a, so again, the question is, where the fuck did they get the car in there? Yeah, no, no, everyone knows, James, that to get in a bunker, you've got to go through a waterfall. Yeah. But also, the even bits like they go down this bunker that's not been opened since 1945. And, for throwing uh, explosives and nothing collapses or anything. No, and, and they just turn on the lights and then one of them goes, oh, they're paying the electricity bills. And the rock has the audacity to go, no, it's uh, it's hydropowered. There must be water nearby. Fuck off. It's his own work, mate. I, I, do you know what? It's, it, I mean, maybe if you go into it with a laughing, like a laugh, don't get me wrong, it's not Baywatch bad. You know, like that is the rock's 
low point, that you know, point. you know, he needed two for it, fairy. <laughs> Yeah. So, <laughs> everyone's got a tooth theory. Everyone's got a tooth theory. The, the, yeah, to, to me, this movie, it wasn't that bad. It, it, at least it had the polish of a of a high like budget that you could tell a lot of money was into it. The product placement stuff really did annoy me. Like you get the, um, you know, Ryan Reynolds gets to his lush barley apartment and he pours himself some aviation gin and you're like, okay, we get it. There's your gin. Yep. The very next scene at the rocks having a Tiramana tequila. I, I thought, I, I thought there's only a matter of time before one of them goes to Gargadot, calm down Wonder Woman. Do you know what I mean? I thought like you, that's really cringy. Mm. Like, I don't know. And it's not even like it's a joke. Like the rock could have took a sip and been like, tastes like shit. And then the next scene, you know, Ryan Reynolds could have spat out the Tiramina and, and, you know, done something with it to make it a little bit more than by this less on the nose. Yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. The Red Notice is not, I mean, I knew, the, right, so here's the ultimate thing. I knew what I was going to get when I watched it and I still watched it and I got that. So who's the real fucking idiot? No, that's true. My, my problem is though, and I've always said this, is I don't want to accept it anymore. You, so you said this, I, I, it wasn't last week because we were talking about Game of but a week before that, and you said, you said, what did I expect? But I don't think as an audience member who pays for these things, I expect more. I'm allowed to expect more. It's, it's, it's me. I, Ryan Reynolds is a good actor. I think The Rock has got an Oscar performance in him. And I don't think it's ever coming. Because he, won't, he will never take it. That's what I mean. He, yeah. won't, he won't take the risk of doing like, do you know what would be a great film? Is like a bodybuilder who gets too old to bodybuild. You know, and it's like, what do you do with your life? Like I've written a story in my head. It's like with The Rock, you know, he's this huge size, but then you probably uh, hire the guy who plays The Mountain, you know, because he's bigger. And, it, and then you're like, well, what do you do? Because you spent your whole life being a bodybuilder. What is there to life after bodybuilding? You know, it's a world that not many people know. So you write a story, it, it deal with depression. You know, he's the perfect- So like the wrestler bit in bodybuilding was. Yeah, yeah, I'm just using it as an example. He could be like a strong man. I, I mm. don't know. I'm not married to the idea. Take I, I, know, I know what you mean. You need, you need the, you need what Arnold Schwarzenegger did with the movie Maggie. You want yes. that, that film. But or the Rock, Stallone with Copland. The, the Rock will never take it because he's all about being number one. And you know, it, but he's a fascinating bloke. When you read like some of the stuff about him, like recently he's been picked up. Was it? He was on the cover of Forbes magazine or whatever it was. Um, and you know, when you look at the blueprint to his success, like how he modelled his career on Will Smith, and he was like, look to the movies that were successful for Will Smith, and the movies that flopped for Will Smith, and started to use that to kind of pave, you know, like yeah. right, sci-fi or whatever it is, because he saw in his sights the person I need to get ahead of is Will Smith. Well, that's very clever. He is he is a fascinating bloke, and and you know he will sell you fucking anything, mm. and and then brag about how it's number one, you know, or whatever it is, and and he's very good at marketing, and and you're right. Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman, there's these other guys that are catching on to the brands that now when you hire The Rock, you're not hiring him for what he's going to do on screen. You're hiring him for the full package. The promo he's going to do before, the promo he's going to do after, because he will sell. He's a salesman. Yeah. And there's so many people now jumping on that bandwagon. You know, I think Ryan Reynolds is, is the second one out of that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's, it's, to me, it was it's frustrating to watch, and I expect more. Because when, like I said, like you, like a Maggie or a Copland. You, at some point, all these aging action heroes have that film that shows. It kind of like shows the, shows the world that they were more than that. And like I said, I think The Rock does adventure great, but I don't want to see a sixty-year-old Rock in fucking Jungle Cruise twelve, fast and. Well, maybe you'll do a Logan style. Well, yeah, that sort of thing. But but weirdly, so when I was looking at his career, I'm thinking the only time he's ever going to actually act. <clears throat> and this is based on my very limited knowledge of Black Adam. It's Black Adam's not a cheerful chappy. He's a dick you know so it's the first time we're ever going to actually see the rock do proper acting in a comic book film it's weird well if the rock now made walking tall yeah and it was i think 
had a had a different artistic approach to it. Mm. You know, I I think Walk It All would be a great movie to tell with the rock in it. Yeah. You know, now where he's in his career and his and his experience now, because I I think that story of I think he molds into that really well as the the person who grew up in the small town went away, did a big adventure, kind of had a life, and comes back to see his town deteriorating because of crime, corruption, and gambling. And then he's like, "I'm going to clean up this fucking mess." Like the, I think he, I think you could now really strip that movie back and make it really good. Do you know what? And this is some good. I think to solidify himself because he is the action star now. He has replaced. Mm of yesteryear. And now if you think about it, I think Schwarzenegger and Sloan did such a good job to hold that mantle for so long. I believe you could argue like Jason Statham and Vin Diesel kind of chipped away at it, but they're still to me, and it's probably a generational thing because I grew up with them. There needs to be a film where Schwarzenegger and Stallone take on the rock, like a Rambo type-esque thing where it's two people, just because like the Passover moment, I just kind of what I want. Mm. I want to see that film. Did because you see, I, sorry. I was going to say, because I think he would learn more uh, he would actually learn stuff from them. And I mm. think that'd be pretty cool. Do you see the Predator uh, imagery? Yeah, because you, you tagged me in it. Oh no, Cream tagged me in it. Yeah. Cream tagged me in it, but like, I've seen it. I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. A load of people who are worried about the weaponry. And it's a point I've made before, right? So it, the Predator is all about honourable. Mm. What's honourable about being invisible <laughs> and firing lasers at people? So when all these people are going, we won't be a fair fight. At what point was it a fair fight? Because <laughs> I just want to know. Well, also, it, it, you could argue what part is a fair fight when the other people don't know they're in a fight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Particularly the first few they get killed in their movies. Like, oh, shit, I didn't know them. What the hell? <laughs> if, if it bleeds, we can kill it. Well, he didn't tell us that. <laughs> um, no, I think that's a really good idea mm. because I still think one of the stories I want to see is behind the gun. I want yeah. to see that. I want to see Predator at sea. <laughs> I think that'd be an absolutely amazing uh, film and what i really like is is that the predator could have come here if you set in it further back in history it could have come for other creatures mm. that would make more sense that's more that would make more sense to me than like alien versus predator being set in modern times it won't make sense however in the past maybe there was like fictional creatures that are now extinct because yeah. the predators came and hunted them does that make sense the, the, there's a good predator movie in the idea that the predator is locked in a situation where he can't go balls to the wall because it would kill all of them you know like mm. if it was on a um, a docking station in space or underwater where he's like hold on I realise if I just go around my cannon uh, you know we're all dead so actually yeah, I need to adapt sense, yeah. my tactics like the, yeah there is a, there's loads of fresh ideas in the Predator franchise yet so I'm glad that they're going the way that they are and also this week um, they've announced Lethal Weapon 5 so um, Mel Gibson is right, uh, is, is starring and directing it well, I, sw- I corner it right now they're going to Logan it he'll kill Riggs off kill Riggs off is yeah. Murtaugh going to be in it he, he, so Murtaugh was attached um, Danny Glover when uh, Richard Donner was still alive mm. and then apparently the, the interview goes that Richard Donner in his passing before he passed said to uh, Mel Gibson would he be up for it he said yes he said if anything happened to me as a, he didn't know anything was going to happen but he just mm. said you know you can you do it kind of thing and apparently Richard Donner told the studios told everyone that so now that that's happened um, and the script's there they've approached Gibson to do it yeah Um. I think the I think he'll Logan it. I think he will go out as a hero in a uh, in like that. I I hope they do. I hope they don't make it. You know, because he's sixty five. You know, and mm. Daddy Glover must be what pushing eighty. He was retiring in the first movie. Yeah. So I think so, so age doesn't go for yeah. right? time is not linear. It's fine. I mean, you were saying I was too old for this shit. Like in the first scene in the first movie, <laughs> that's how we were introduced to him. <laughs> he's got to be past that now. Like, like so, I, I think they'll either kill 
Murtoghoff in the opening scene. I think that might make sense because that's how you might get him. Like maybe he had a, he's retired. Maybe he had a file. Mm. And then like. Yeah, or they'll do the it. flashback thing, which the plan, which they were going to do with McLean. Mm. And so it's a case from years back and they'll. Um, <gasps> True detective it. Age, age uh, his face, the age yeah. his face. Or I think it'll be a low key. He's a PI now. And he takes yeah. on a case of like, a, it'll be something like the Rambo movie. He'll take on a, a you know, of a, a kind of homeless girl who's in trouble, like Punisher season two. It'll be that storyline. Yeah. But I quite want to see that. I want to kind of see him go out. Because Riggs is the character, like Jack Reacher, if you read the Lee Charles novels, where he's either going to walk away in the sunset with a dog or he's going to die bleeding in the bathroom of a motel. Like they are, they're the outcomes for that character. And that's the same for Riggs. I don't think sitting well with him, like, oh, no, I'm just, I settled down with, uh, what was it? Uh, Rene Russo. Russo. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not suicidal or crazy anymore. I'm no longer the lethal weapon. That film should just be called Weapon. <laughs> yeah. Each time, each time it's like, it's lethal weapon. And then the second one would be like, dangerous weapon. And the third one's like, a timid weapon. Yeah. Then the fourth gun. one's like, no weapon. <laughs> Lukewarm weapon. <laughs> and then the fifth one's just guy. Yeah. <laughs> First one's like lethal weapon, bazooka. And by the end one, it's like lethal weapon, spork. He just, he wasn't really lethal in the last one, was he? No. It, the, the joke is that he just laughed. Like, like, the only scene I love it is like, it's like when he just jumps off the roof, he's like, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> just think, oh, what? That's like completely different. One movie to go through. And this one came out a little while back uh, earlier in the year, but it's now available on Now TV um, or Sky Cinema. And that is the new improved remake of the video game classic Mortal Kombat. James is already staring at me because I think he's got a few things to say about this. But this is the movie that we didn't know we wanted until we saw a trailer that showed a bloody, visceral, fatality-driven uh, Mortal Kombat movie. Mm. So th this is uh, this is from years. People have wanted this for ages. It's based on the video franchise. It's a complete reboot. It's different. It's new. And um, do you know what? Credit where credit's due, it improves a lot. Um, what we've got is we've got actually a bigger budget. And what that allows is it allows to take away from what the 1994 classic film did was puppeteering. So it uses actual CGI. So the characters of Goro, people like that. Um, the music is delightful. doesn't rely on an old techno song, which I was... Which it does until the end of the film. But it's a different techno song, which irritated me because <laughs> I know the words <laughs> to the original. Um what you've got is, and when we did our episode, which I can't remember, I was trying to quickly look out which episode it was where we did a play-by-play. -play, I you think it was back in January, so. You mentioned um, whitewashing our characters, so it doesn't do that. learns from its lessons, and it, you know, uh, uh, Chinese actors, uh, Japanese actors, all speaking there. Uh, I don't really, can I spoil this? Yeah, we can talk about the opening, because the opening's in the credits. The biggest improvement this film is ever going to do is it opens with the storyline that everyone loves. So... You might not be a you might not be a fan of the game franchise. However, you know one thing: you're either Scorpion, mate, or you're Sub Zero. And whenever we've seen them in canon on the film, it's never delivered. Oh, oh, it delivers. Those first ten minutes of this film are some of the best martial arts fighting and gruesome. And let's get no, let's not let's not let's not mink some words. It's a gory film. Mm. This film is uh, open spectacular with the fight that you wanted to see for so long. It's Sub-Zero versus Scorpion. It's the murder of uh, Hanso by the Lin Kuei. And then we're dropped into tedium <laughs> straight away. We meet, we basically, they've introduced a new character called Koyong, and this is how we learn about the world. If you've got a tattoo, you're a chosen fighter, mm. and you're expected to represent the Earth realm. 
in the, or if you defeat someone with the tower, it yeah, will transfer yeah. over to you. And you'll defeat them if you kill them; they tra- will transfer to you. So, what you've got is you've got Earth's heroes, and this film doesn't have a tournament. This is basically about the evil sorcerer. So, this is set like uh, like nine hundred years later. The, well, there is a tournament, but the villain is trying to prematurely. There is a tournament coming up. Work is odd, so, so they have, they still won nine tournaments. So it follows the game in the original yeah. movie that they've won nine, and if the if the enemies win the tenth, it will open up a realm so Outworld can come and invade. So Shang uh, Shang Tsung, um, it basically tries this uh, opportunity to basically uh, a bit of hand tactics. He sends out Sub Zero to go murder them all, so that basically when the tournament comes, it'll be mm. you and me, which then, makes sense. But then, yeah, and and you know that. In the movie, Raiden addresses that. He's like, you're cheating. And he's like, the yep. fuck are you on about? Like, of course I am. I'm the villain. Like, he's just, it's like, I've done it, this nine it, times. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the characters that I bring back are Sonya Blade. Improvement. Sonya Blade's improvement because let's be honest, mate, she was crap in the first film. But Liu Kang, in the original play by Robin Shu, was for me a fantastic bit of uh, performance in this one. Uh, I... His, his role is significantly reduced. Looney Lin in this movie. Looney Lin isn't the force of character, the force of good that you know. So he's supposed to be the chosen one, but he's ridiculously like reduced in scale, which I'm fine with. I'm actually okay with that because I hate Liu Kang. And you also can't just remake the 95, 96 movie. So you can't... Liu Kang was also... It's kind of like Ryu in Street Fighter just became the official mm. golden boy, the alpha, the, the person. It doesn't mean that he has to be your fan favourite. So I, I, I also like the idea that moved away from him. But Sonya Blade, though, is a conspiracy nut who lives in a rundown, like, shithole. Mm. And she's there with Jax, who, do you know what, Jax is only, with Jax is a really good character. Um, but later on in the series, when I first met Jax, I'm always bored. Who's got, I like the character. Now, every character has, like, special skills. And I love the fact that Sub-Zero is a cold killer. You know, you manipulate his house. So in it, he's a killer. He's not really a fighter, he's an assassin. Mm. When we first introduced uh, to him after he's killed uh, Hanso, in the modern world, he's making it snow. But then in some really great effects where the snow kind of goes backwards and everything's, and he's hunting Cole and his family and he's like throwing ice at it. And he's really cool. I really like the introduction because it's epic. It is finally epic to see a great video game character come to life on the big screen. Loving it. I was Well, not the big screen. Depends how big your screen I feel, is. I feel, I feel the big book coming on. So I'm loving all of this. But my biggest problem, my biggest, biggest problem is Cole Young can go fuck himself because <laughs> he's the most boring, bland person I've ever met. Right, so there are lots of things about this film I don't like. One of them is that, the, right, this film is based on video games and it tries to explain superpowers. Arcana, when you train enough, you'll unlock Arcana. And that's why Liu Kang can shoot fireballs out of his hand and that's why uh, uh, Kung Lao can teleport and throw his hat around. It's why Kano can shoot lasers out of his eyes. Cole Young literally has plot armor. That is his power. So it's like, I cannot die because you need me. It's a, it's, an, it's a completely original character. It doesn't come from anywhere. Irritates me to the point of it boils me because the one thing that you can't say is that Mortal Kombat doesn't have great characters. It does have great characters. Lyndon Ashby is Johnny Cage is one of the greatest performers in a video game film for me forever. He's so good. Mm. Excuse me. So I don't like the idea of Arcana. I, I can live with the fact that, you know, there's magic. Just tell me magic's real. I'll, I'll deal with it. You know, I've just watched all this other bollocks this week. <laughs> I, can, I can believe that magic's real. Arcana. The fact that they kind of train in like this grubby shithole that, that Raiden's put like the shield power on and then fucked off. So Shang Tsung comes to kill them all. And he's very, he's just like, I've come to kill you all. And 
Raiden's basically like, don't do that. It's like, well, what are you going to do? So he turns on like an electric force field around his training facility. Then he pisses off. Mm. He's a god, mate. He's got other things to be doing. What? God shit. <laughs> but, and the high point, and the biggest high point is the character of Kano, who exists to make you laugh. You, Josh Lawson. Josh Lawson, which I'll be honest, I think his performance was phenomenal. He was great. And Kano is a great character from the like 90, we'll call the 90s version of Mortal Kombat. They changed his canon based on how good that performance was. That's nothing compared to this. The character of Kano is actually good. The downside is, I got told that this film was for Mortal Kombat fans who liked the storyline, who loved like the ethos and stuff like that. And it pisses on it. it. I don't understand who read that because Sonya shouldn't be living in a world where she's fine with Kano. The idea is Kano's like destroyed her world by killing and torturing her partner. In this, they're like, they're, I know they end up fighting, but at the same time, it's there's not enough in it for me. Jack's getting his special arm powers from his Arcana. It's like, so if he if Sub-Zero hadn't ripped off Jack's arms, what would have his power been? Would his arms have fallen off naturally anyway? <clears throat> well, no, it's an origin story, isn't it, James? Even it's bullshit. It's absolute I, I, I think the, the problem with this is you you can't you can't come out with this theory, and I've been guilty of this before. It's something that I reflect on a lot. But you can't you can't come out with this uh, justification as to why you don't like a movie if you're then not going to apply it to other movies. Mm. So I hate to break it to you, but James Marsden was not in the Sonic universe, but that movie's still completely fine. It, it, introducing a new character that mm. has nothing to do with Sonic, but it still works. But it doesn't. Alice, work in this Alice one. doesn't exist in Resident Evil. Now, I know the Resident Evil movies are shit, but bear with me. <laughs> but it works in the narrative of the first movie, which is supposed to be Alice in Wonderland. You know, she wakes up in a world that she doesn't understand, and that, that's the plot narrative. Okay. So, and I'm using comic book, I'm using uh, games transitions for this. Mm. That This is like the Joker movie, and that it doesn't have to be canon. It just has to be a director's, and also you've got to remember, particularly low budget to produce a movie that is an alternative to the one that we got, that I personally think the original one was shite. I've never people, known why people love that original movie. I, I'll never understand why you don't like it, because when I listened back to that review, you said that you don't get the storyline. It was like, the storyline's really easy to get. What I, do, <laughs> yeah. what I don't like about this is... No, I've got the storyline. I just don't get that that is a storyline. It's that everything should be better than it is. So you said, but the character of, the character of Cole... So, okay, my biggest pay, why I hate this putrid little dickhead who does nothing, is because the, the end fight scene is phenomenal. It's what you've been waiting for. A fully powered scorpion, fuck it, spoilers, comes back and fights Sub-Zero in, in the fight that, let's be honest, has been building up throughout the entire yeah. film and the fight you want to see. And you see it. Yeah, and it's long. You see it's a lot of it. But And you see a lot of special moves. But interspliced with that, so there's a current scene, there's a, there's a scene where they're having an awesome fight. Sub-Zero stabs Scorpion. As the blood comes out, he freezes it, turns it into a sword, so he stabs him again, twirls around, creates a wall of ice and throws Scorpion through the wall. Mm. Intercut with that is Cole, who I don't give a shit about saving his family in a scene I don't give a shit about. It's like, oh, look at Cole. I don't want to look at Cole. I want to look at Scorpion beating the crap out of Sub-Zero. That's what I want to watch. That's what you've sold the film to me as. Why am I watching this piss ant do this? And then, at the end of the film, he joins in. It's like, why? Mate, I played Mortal Kombat. I played Morph. At no point is there two versus one. It's bullshit. I've... I, there is a lot to like about this film. There is a lot to like about this film. It far surpasses the original. Oh, you're wrong. You're it so does. wrong. You're not even looking at things like, like Goro is a vast improvement. Right, but this is another thing that you, so you never liked the night version. So there's no, no point in me ever turning you on to it because as soon as you watch that, I think you hated that film before you even saw it. Whereas I can look at it objectively. Oh no, I, I hated it because I saw it. 
Well, I can tell you that. Well, completely. I, well, I disagree because I thought Goro looked better as a an actual physical prop. No, he, he looks good in the original, and I, I love. I, I say this all the time. I love. I love uh, practical, practical effects, effects over visual. But, but you can actually do stuff. Yeah, in yeah. The, 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 we, we, it's like I love the '89 Batman, but he can't turn his neck, James. <laughs> and Goro is the same in this. And whereas in this one, there was a moment where I was watching it, and uh, yeah, we are in spoiler territory, but it is in the trailer. You, Goro is fighting the Cole character in like a farm yard, yeah. you know. And I like that. I was like, this is cool because this isn't Goro, the the grand champion, you know, the you know, with his entourage or anything. This is the monster, you know. This is themes of. Um, you know, uh, uh, not a living dead. You know, this is the guy shacked up in his house with a monster breaking down the door. I was like, ah, fuck it, this is cool. I also like, I actually think this, the movie does need the graphic. There are some scenes in it where you're like, that was just put in there. It's purely so I, fan. They wanted the fan. Yeah. The fan reaction. They wanted the fatalities. Yeah. And, and, it, and, it, and the worst thing about that is how the, the characters then actually say things like flawless victory. You're like, you don't I need to say that. Kung Lao. Yeah. <laughs> Kung Lao's character, I thought was a good introduction to it as well. The, like you say, Sonya, I thought was a vast improvement. Kano is the standout star. Um, I, I didn't mind it. There were characters that I wish they brought in that they didn't. I, there were characters that I wish they brought in that they chose not to, but that's fine. It does sell for this idea that there may be a sequel. Yeah. But, but, um, but there yeah. are parts I liked about it. I don't think it's complete trash, but but I think, I th- do you know what irritated me the most? Was that I was sold on it. It's like, if you love the games, you'll love this film. And I didn't. I did really. You can't. You can't. You can't also do the same storylines one because you have got to remember as well the ninety five or ninety whatever that movie came out. That movie you stole heavily from Enter the Dragon, so you, you can't do that again. Where you it's stole from been, the storyline of the first game, which was stole from Enter the Dragon. <laughs> you say stole, so there's never, never. Oh, do you know what, mate? It no, but you can't. Say, you can't. You've been. You're, you're right. So you're all the best fighters, and you've been pulled to an island for a mysterious fighting competition. That that is a bit on the nose, James. It's not a bit on us. Why are we having this conversation again? Because 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 I'm saying you can't do it a third time in this movie. And it's easy. Every harder. film that's based on this kind of this isn't this isn't these aren't the two. There isn't End of the Dragon and Mortal Kombat. There's loads of films where it's like the best fight for whatever reason. Yeah. So what I'm saying is they could have done a better version of it for these films. I'm not. I'm not saying this Mortal Kombat had a better storyline because it is written on a napkin. But the first one, let's not pretend it was this holy grail of like like a script. Oh, God, you no. know, it was it was fun though, and I enjoyed it, and I, I had fun watching it. I don't remember having fun in this one. And what I really what what I really lack is you mentioned it then is it is um, lack of backgrounds you know locations mm. like it's very grungy. So Jax goes off to kill someone on a fatality stage. I don't know if you saw it. It's the bridge from Mortal Kombat Two. Yeah, that's great. But like you say, Goro has a fight at someone's house mm. in a field, and Sonya and Keno have a fight in a in a in a motel room or whatever. Mm. It's lacking the grandiose. It felt like that they ran out of budget for back. I don't know if you noticed this, but it's only set in like three locations. Mm. It's, like, it's like this dusty hell all of nowhere, this crappy house or here. There was not really anything else. There's a lot to work with. It's really good. Not for me. Didn't like it. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that's the same though as in the games, isn't it? Like you spawned in on certain mm. backgrounds to fight in. and With better ones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I'm not saying it's perfect, but I, I, what I found was it was a 90 minute movie that I just, I was like, that was fine. I went into it thinking it was going to be shit because everyone said it was bad. And I was like, this isn't as bad as what people oh, think it is. Oh, I don't think it was that bad. And, uh, and it certainly, um, the, the other thing as well is it's a martial arts movie, which employed people that know martial arts, mm. like versus the first movie, which didn't. Like, it doesn't matter what you say. There's a reason why Christopher Lambert doesn't do anything in that first movie because he's not a martial artist. Super, and I would... Super Rain doesn't do anything in this movie. <laughs> yeah, but that's not my point. I mean, there are other characters in that original movie as well. You know, the characters of um, like Johnny Cage, he's not 
not a fighter oh, to the he's standard an actor. of the, yeah, he's, an, he's an actor first yeah. and martial which this certainly felt more like a martial arts movie than the first one mm. Scorpion's got a bit of a Spider-Man disease though as well mm. it's like he keeps taking his mask off and it really pisses me off because like Spider-Man in Spider-Man 3 do you remember like every second he has to take his mask off and go like it's Hiroyuki Sanando, who I suppose is the biggest name in the movie. So oh, you're going to take his mask off a few times, show him off. Yeah, so he was he was the great casting as a Scorpion. And I just really, I really love the ending at the beginning. I thought, what a great opening ten minutes. Mm. It's what I wanted. Bloody visceral, fantastic storyline off a cliff. Not interested. It's not the film that made me ill though, because no. like I say I quite liked it. Was when I was watching Red Notice. Yeah, I hate that. I was on notice, mate. I fucking hate it. Yeah. <laughs> so. You made me start remembering Red Notice SAS that movie. Can you remember that? Yes. Yes. I'm amazed that that movie didn't make me ill. <laughs> because when it came on, I was like, I'm sure I've read Red Notice somewhere. And then Googled Red Notice. And then it was like, oh, we've done that on a podcast. Because you made me. <laughs> <laughs> it was a new release. Um, all right. So each week we get around the mics. And if we come across a movie that we've both seen in the last seven days, uh, that is a contender for the greatest of all time, we put it in our vault. So any of the movies, so that's Jungle Cruise, Red Notice, Mortal Kombat, Honey Boy, or Shang-Chi in the vault no I'm afraid not so they are the top top tier they are the ones that you get out to impress people so yeah Shang-Chi nearly but it's oh it's a very good film it, it was and Shang-Chi was the best out of the films I saw mm. this week that was the that was the healing medication that you need for mm. poor week yeah so uh, but but on the contrast to that nothing so bad it's in the pit so that's the no. place where we put the horrible movies Red Notice well, is I bad just, but, because Red Notice is the worst of these films. yeah but it knew what it was you know, and, and it's a bit, a disease, but at least it knew it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm the idiot for watching it. <laughs> but I tell you what, I've learned my lesson. If a sequel comes out, watch it. And I probably will. <laughs> Fucking slut for that kind of stuff. Red Notice Two is still Red Notice. Yeah. Right then, that is our show for this week. Uh, if I don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, good night, goodbye.